Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, a little bit different, a little special episode coming to you from Dice Tower Con 2018, and I'm here with a very special guest, a guy that needs no introduction. He's done a, a few games here or there, Mr. Eric Lang. Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? Doing great, man. Eric, thank you for taking just a few minutes. I know you're crazy busy right now. Your schedule is packed. I saw your, your schedule earlier, and you've got like you know eight minutes here and three minutes there, and you've got two minutes to eat lunch and stuff like that. So thank you so much for just taking a few minutes to answer some questions and, and talk about game design for a bit. Uh, your schedule is crazy. And I'm, is that a good problem to have, though? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm, I, I'm always happy to do uh, like interviews like this. But So it is a good problem to have. I like staying busy. I, I like having a lot to do. Um, there's always the only downside is I wish I had more time to just spend with fans, right? Especially at this show because it's a little more intimate, and so I get to actually have real conversations with people. But it, it, you know, that's such as life. It's uh, time is limited. You have only so many action points and so many actions you want to do. Yeah, definitely. Now, just in case people have been living under a rock, they're in the design space and never heard of you. Kind of give me your quick bio. Like, how did you get into game design? Who are you? That kind of thing. Uh, I'm Eric, and I got into games because I love them. You want more than that, don't you? So, um, yeah, so uh, I've been designing games for um, my metric I've been using. I've been writing Game Designer on my tax returns since 97, which makes this 21 years. Um, it's a hugely long time. I feel like I've started yesterday. Um, it's still thrilling. It's still scary. Um, I've de- Oh, right, you want a bio. So I've, um, I've designed uh, games. I'm most well-known for my big box games and lifestyle games. I'd like games uh, for CMON like Blood Rage, Rising Sun, um, the Godfather, the others, for Fantasy Flight, I did like Game of Thrones, Call of Cthulhu, Warhammer, Star Wars, uh, LCGs, um, XCOM, the board game, uh, did digital design for um, some MMOs, uh, now, now defunct, but did uh, Duelist, the trading card game, um, Dice Masters for WizKids, Quarters for WizKids, a uh, bunch of other stuff I'm sure I'm forgetting, but uh, that's a, a snippet. <laughs> Yeah, very cool. And so, all right, we got limited time. And so I just want to really just get your best advice for just a handful of topics, handful of questions, especially thinking about, you know, new designers, people just now kind of breaking into game design, maybe only been doing it for a little bit of time. And so first question, what would be your best advice for a new designer? Somebody just kind of breaking in. Um, just to bring in, uh, understand your motivation. Um, the, the technical skills are going to come with time, but what, why do you, what, what do you want out of a game design career? Um, are you an artist, a businessman, or a rock star? Do you want to be, are you doing this, are you making games because you have uh, something to prove? Do, are you doing this because you want to run a business, or are you doing this because you want to be one of those guys? You can't say I'm doing air quotes. But like, or do you want this to be your identity? All three of them are valid paths, and everybody's a mix of one of those three. Um, those are the paradigms that I've created. But um, once you figure that out, you'll have a um, you'll be able to reconcile the choices that you make and the compromises that you make, and have a much happier career path. Yeah, for sure. And now, where would you say that you fall, kind of in those three categories? Uh, well. <laughs> Other, some people will tell you that I'm on the rock star path. Uh, I, I, I consider myself an artist. I design games because I, um, I feel like 
my goal is to deliver to as many people as I can what I call the D&D moment, that, that game that transforms them from a... Uh, from somebody who just happens to enjoy these casually to somebody who goes, oh my god, this is, there is a lifestyle and a hobby out there. Games can be this and um, end up having a really positive uh, overall life experience that starts from there. Awesome. Now, I just heard a really great panel with you and Rob Davio talking about the new Simon game, Death May Die, this really awesome Cthulhu game. And one thing I found very interesting that you were talking about is you, you talk about your design process that you shoot for the stars so you can land on the moon. Right, and that's kind of part of your, your designing. What would be your advice, your best advice for someone, as far as the design process goes? Like, how, what does it look like to shoot for the stars and land on the moon? Like, what does that look like, kind of more practically? Well, I mean, so <clears throat> when I think of shooting for the stars, depending on what game I'm making, like either if I'm making a game that is in a, a, a familiar or crowded genre, then for me, shooting for the stars is best in class, right? I, I, I need to be able to put this game alongside all the other top games in that. It, either in that genre, subgenre, or even market space, like not necessarily by mechanics, but what, by the way people associate games, and it's got to stand up. It's got to be at the very, very worst considered "quote unquote" as good as those. Um, otherwise, shooting for the stars, I want to do something radical and innovative, and just it doesn't have to be. Oh my God, we've redefined what a game can be, but something that is fresh enough that that wakes people up and goes, "Wow, this game is making me." ask new questions that I haven't asked before uh, in the gaming space. Yeah, and I know part of your process is you, you've walked away from a ton of games that were, were going to be good, that were going to be fine, but is this kind of the deciding factor? If it's not going to be best in class, then it's like, well, I'm not even going to keep pursuing it. Is that kind of how the process goes sometimes? Well, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, so, yes. It's a bit hubristic to think of it that way, but, like, it's true. Like, I, if I, I'll look at a game, and if, I'm, if I get to a point where I'm like, oh, I'm okay with it, right? I, I try to look in the future and go, Imagine I've solved all the problems, all the procedural issues with it, and all the technical issues. What is the best this game could be? And if the best this game could be is best in class, I will probably pursue it. If the best it could be is like, ah, oh, it's pretty good, then like, yeah, I don't care. Do you have any kind of estimate on the number of games that you've put on the shelf that you've worked on for a while and then just kind of walked away from? Any kind of like ballpark figure? Uh, hundreds. Yeah, definitely. I've talked to so many like great quote unquote great designers, and they say the same thing. Hundreds, if not, I think Richard Lanius is like I don't know a thousand. You know, it's just amazing. And I think that's so good for young design, new designers to realize is that it's it's not a good ratio of designs to published games. Like you're going to probably have a lot more on the shelf than you end up with published. Is that a fair? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, of course, when we say designs, that's a, that's a spectrum, right? Like it comes from a, a notebook or a set of rules on, a, a, on or even a full prototype, but probably not something that's been playtested hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Right? Once you put, once you made the decision to put that investment in, it's more likely or not, more likely you're going to pursue it to the finish line. But yeah, I have a, on a two separate occasions, I've had um, a computer with at over 150 designs in various stages of completion that I've just destroyed. That's crazy. All right, next question. You, you've designed some amazingly thematic games, just th you know, themes that are just dripping with exactly what that game was about, whether it was you know, uh, Game of Thrones, all these different, and Cthulhu, the new one, just seems to be oozing. I saw your uh, demonstration this morning. just seems to be oozing with you know, Cthulhu theme. What's your best advice for bringing a theme to life? Uh, so... Um, this is a personal thing, so like not every not every designer is going to design like I do. But if you think like I do, or if you like my games, I design for moments, right? I don't design for simulations, so I don't really care about following a story linearly from beginning to end. I think about moments. So um, when I break down uh, the conversation I have in my head, which I have too many of, 
I think about um, somebody at a game store describing this game in clumsy English. They're not trained to do this whatsoever. Describing this game in clumsy English to a friend of theirs, right? And they don't... Somebody's like, for example, let's say Death May Die, right? Not, they're not going to say, <clears throat> Death May Die is a one-to-four-player cooperative game with tense decisions, and they're not going to do that, right? They're, what they're going to say is, oh, yeah, yeah, so it was great. Like, I, I remember there was this point, right, where there was like three, were four fire tokens in there. I went in there with my fire extinguisher, but it blew up in my face, but it killed the star spawn on its own, that kind of stuff. Like, I think of those type of moments and then work around that, create a toolbox of either mechanics or... Um, or, or connective tissues of some way that ends up allowing me to create as many of those moments as I can inside the space of the game. Yeah, because when people talk about a game, they don't talk about it as in, yeah, remember when I moved those two yellow cubes into the blue space and we did this thing? They, they talk about it in story, you know, kind of like this thing that happened and Cthulhu, he showed up out of nowhere. Even if Cthulhu is a giant green cube, they still talk about it in you know terms of Cthulhu, like in story-based uh, elements. And so... Is, is that kind of the thing you're going with? Like, are you going through these different stories that play out? It's like, before you even jump in and like, try to think through the stories that you want to tell? Sort of. I mean, again, so I, I, I'm not really trying to tell a story beginning to end. I'm, I'm just thinking about moments, honestly. And, like, the, the reason I break it down into moments, why that's my measurement, is that because I want to make sure that they are agnostic on their own. It doesn't matter what order they happen in. It doesn't matter how many of them happen or do not happen in any individual game. I just want to make sure that I hit at least a number of these notes in, uh, in a particular game. Uh, and it is important that it doesn't matter what order it is because that way that leaves agency for players. Yeah, very cool. All right, let's talk about playtesting, which might be the most important topic in game design, just kind of like getting that game to the, its best place. Yep. It's not possible without playtesting. So give me your best advice for playtesting. Uh, best advice for playtesting. So, uh, so I'm sure you've, uh, you've talked to a lot of other designers about this. Okay, because um, this one's going to be a little bit... Um, I would not consider this entry-level advice, but my best advice for playtesters is the feedback that you get from players at the table watching them play the game or participating in the game with them is 900,763 times more valuable than the post-mortem feedback you're going to get from them afterward. I don't fill out feedback. I don't have feedback forms. I very rarely ask players for their opinion about did you like this, did you not like this. I have. I can... I better be able to tell that at the table. I'm, very, I'm polite, and I listen to people's feedback. I'm like, oh, you should do this, you should do this. But generally speaking, I've got everything I need from the table. Gamers, especially smart gamers, especially experienced gamers, are very bad, very bad at uh, retrograde memory. They will rebuild the series of events that happened even just a few minutes ago in a way that is, uh, and they will construct it narratively and in a particular way that will allow them to arrive at a conclusion that may have nothing to do with whatever happened at the table. If you listen to that rather than what they did, you will probably be going down the wrong path. Gotcha. So what are, what are some of the things that you're looking for, whether it's their responses, the looks on their faces, those kinds of things? What are you looking for at the table during the game that kind of tells you that your game's on track or off track? Uh, so that, I mean, this is hours and hours and hours, right? I mean, so, and I, and it's different. It's different for every game, right? So, I mean, I look for, so the, the very top line stuff, right? I'm looking for engagement, right? I'm looking for, you know, are people leaning forward? Are they making eye contact with each other? Are they talking about the game? Do they forget that I'm at the table? That's a big one. Um, are people asking, do people stop, um, when people ask each other questions, I try never to answer questions at a table. Like uh, when somebody asks me, how does this work? I'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I just bought the game, right? Um, and I, I wait to listen to them um, question each other, right? I get them to teach each other the game. 
Um, I look for... I know there's a trick you're supposed to say, oh, I'll look for people are engaged with their phones and stuff like that. I ignore that. Everybody's looking at their phones all the time, even when they're having fun. But um, I look for uh, places where people struggle, where people have to answer this, ask the same question more than twice in a row or more than three times in a game. I look for... Um, there's, I mean... I'm not going to teach you body language 101, right? You can just read that on a, on a shelf. But look for signs of frustration, contempt, and uh, consternation. Those are the three bi- the three big ones. Now, unfortunately, on the balance that against the fact that many games the fun is zero sum, and a case especially competitive games, one player's triumphant moment is actually going to come at another player's consternation. That's fine. But um, what you have to look for, you have to make sure that they're not showing signs of contempt or, frus- uh, or extreme frustration. That's a tough one, but you will develop an instinct for it. Yeah, now do you have any kind of process for finding playtesters? You know, I know you, you move around a lot, and so you've kind of lived in different places. Have you had any kind of, uh, you know, a system that you've created that kind of brings people into playtester games? Well, yeah, so but, uh, before I started with Simon, um, uh, I was doing this freelance for a long time. Um, actually, my wife and I ran our family business together, and uh, she's very gregarious and well-connected in the gaming scene. Um, and I, I'm, I know most people know this, I'm super shy, and I don't like to reach out to people, but um, she just goes out and... She goes out and finds gamers. Um, we actually moved to areas that are very dense in gamers, and we make sure that we are. Uh, we chose our house um, to be able to well situated and easy for a lot of people to get to to host play testing. Um, it's a lot of work. She runs it essentially like a volunteer coordinate uh, a coordinated volunteer program, something that you would normally pay a salary for, um, and. Uh, we have we schedule on our we have a uh, scheduling calendar that we do and we make everything like an event we um, we have a budget for snacks for uh, for that kind of stuff but it's it is we run it seriously and uh, like a discipline professionally uh, how do we find playtesters my wife finds them for me very cool next question so you've had a lot of luck or I don't luck's not necessarily the right word you've had a lot of experience working with some of the best in the in- industry Rob Davio now that you just you know are almost finished with a game with you work with Bruno Faduti you've worked now you're working with Simon what would be your advice for working well with others because this is some something I see with a lot of game designers they they're very isolated it's their baby they have this baby project and if anyone you know critiques it they get upset about it and it's like oh you've you know called their baby ugly or whatever what would be your advice for a new designer and learning how to work well with others so that you can uh, work well with publishers, work well with co-designers, work well and maybe get a job in the industry, which a lot of people uh, say they want. What would you tell them? Uh, okay, well, so I would, s- first of all, uh, understand and establish boundaries. Uh, every professional relationship you're going to have is extremely different. The relationship I have with Rob Davio is very different from the relationship I have with my developers, with my producers, with my graphic designers. Um, what are your boundaries and where are your inputs and outputs? Who is in charge of making what decisions and what, uh, how much, um, once you've got that, right, what the chain of command for every uh, specific element of your game is going to be, establish that first. Then be super opinionated on everything and have a super thick skin. I guarantee you, designers, your baby is ugly. I guarantee it, right? Um, you, especially if you think your game is perfect, I guarantee you it is r- probably the worst of the bunch, right? Um, you, your baby is ugly, and that's fine. It's part of the job. Uh, my babies are ugly. So just don't even worry about developing a thick skin. Just come in knowing your game comes into the world with original sin, right? It's not fun. Um, and that's fine. And people tell you it's fun. They're lying, right? Find people that are just going to play the game the way that they would play in a store where they are not ego invested in um, 
they're not ego invested in trying to make sure that your feelings are spared, right? Does not do you any favors, let them play. So not everybody is cut out to collaborate with other designers. Um, just make sure to understand boundaries. I'll just do two seconds on boundaries. So for example, your relationship with the developer, developer is the one that works at a publisher who's going to finish your game, who's going to take your game from your design document to the production line. So we're going to test every assumption that you put into the game, make sure it functions the way you think it's supposed to function in the real world. Your role with the developer is you are the visionary, you're the vision keeper, your name's on the box, you have to be proud of it. You have to approve the changes, however, you have to give the developer enough room to challenge everything that you do and you have to make sure that they have input. You have to make sure that they're arguing with you and they stay passionate. Um, you're with, with the producer, they're the ones that take your f the final finished game and they turn it into a final product. You have to make sure that the producer respects your vision and respects what um, the process that you guys went to there, but um, when the producer tells you, I'm sorry, this is under budget, you're going to have to make some design changes. It doesn't matter if you think your game is perfect, too bad, you're going to have to respect that. Um, and that goes for graphic design, that goes for, um, and of course the corporate side is a whole other thing too. Yeah, awesome. Well, Eric, I know you got to run. Do you have any like closing thoughts? Any any best advice you just wish newer designers knew? Things that you see kind of happening, like, oh man, I wish more people knew this or aware were aware of this. Sure. I mean, uh, my best advice is not everybody's cut out to be a designer. I mean, it is a um, next to maybe stand-up comedy is one of the, is probably the most judged profession on the uh, on the entertainment scene. You are putting forth a democratic art form that other people have to invest themselves into to complete an experience. Um, not everybody's cut out to do that. So a lot of people, a lot of people have great ideas for games. That's fine. A lot of people have um, really cool pr projects they want to bring forth. There's nothing wrong with making games just to play with your friends. When you want, if you want to make that leap to doing it professionally, understand you are going to have less fun playing games. You're going to have less fun at conventions. You are going to have a very different type of enjoyment, right? You, have, you will become more journey, less destination. If you're okay with that, I mean, it sounds easy, it sounds trivial, but I guarantee you, most people are not okay with that. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with making games for fun. Um, I would never discourage anybody from designing a game. I would, um, I, in fact, I encourage as much as possible. Just be mindful and be thoughtful about whether you want to take this to the next level. And for God's sake, if it's ruining your hobby, stop it. Just enjoy the hobby. Awesome. Well, Eric, man, thank you so much for your time. Good luck with Death May Die coming up on uh, Kickstarter on July 10th with CMON, and I'm sure it's going to have one or two surprises uh, along the way, and so this episode will actually air uh, tomorrow. And so check out uh, Death May Die on Kickstarter July 10th, and good luck with everything else you got, you got going on right now. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?